This is Beyond the Byte with Joe and Abe. In each episode, we get to know someone from the cybersecurity community, how they got here, and what they learned along the way, hoping to better understand what it means to be good citizens and continue our evolution as a cybersecurity vendor. We hope you benefit from the insight as well. This cybersecurity conversation is sponsored by Greylog, an award-winning provider of SIM and log management solutions. I'm Randy, the producer, and here are your hosts, Joe and Abe. Hello, everyone. Honestly, I have absolutely nothing for this banter section that we have. So I'm just going to give it to Abe. Abe, you can just take it. Just go. That's actually, that's perfect. That's perfect, (laughs) Joe. And uh, as as you know, I like to focus a little more on on kind of the human journey. And one of the journeys I've been thinking about lately is yours, actually. Oh. And one of the things that's kind of interesting to me is as I watch you climb up and Mm -hmm. uh, ambitiously, I might add, and and, and very, very deservedly so, the sales leadership side and and sales adjacent leadership side, I've noticed you've really mastered the art of like asking questions that then lead to you saying what you want to say. (laughs) 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 And what's a good skill. Which is fun. Yeah. And it is a good skill. It's a fantastic skill. And so I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can take my hand at this. Okay. So Joe, I want to tell me about a time where you may have bullseyed the task, but completely failed the objective. Hmm. <laughs> Great story, Joe. Let me tell you about mine. <laughs> How did I do? <laughs> All right. Anyways, one of the favorite ones I wanted to talk about. Ed, that was all true, by the way. Joe is fantastic at, at this. That's but great. anyways, we were talking about this not long ago. Nailing the task but failing the objective. Mm-hmm. And so once upon a time, very, very limited details. But the uh, the objective was a kind of a thing I was doing with the military. And we were supposed to go and be sneaky somewhere. And as a young kid in a brand new team, and for the first time ever spending federal money, they're like, hey, what do you want? And I was like, what do you mean, what do I want? Like, what's what's my limit? And they're like, no, no, this is the kind of what do you want, not what's the limit sort of scenario. I was like, ooh, cool. <laughs> and so I bought the biggest, most obnoxious equipment you can imagine. So I had these wild gaming laptops, big blinking external GPUs and stuff. I'm like, if there's a password, we're going to crack it, man. It's going to be awesome. And so I had just this insane amount of gear. And we got where we were going and we set up. And as soon as I set up and I pulled out this laptop and this gear that was probably more than three times the annual salary in the area we were, people noticed, people started milling around, everything started going pear-shaped on me. And I'm like barely set up and I'm radioing and I'm like, I think we're made. What? We're not even out of the van yet. And I'm like, uh, I, I, no, this isn't going well. <laughs> You know, so I met the task, but horribly <laughs> failed the objective. And so from then on, the standard operating procedure was put really nice guts in a beat up old business class chassis laptop. Ooh, and that, yeah. that book still stands today, many, many, many years later. But uh, anyways, completed the task, failed the objective. Yeah. I, which I, is hopefully the exact opposite of our guest's story today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that like perfectly describes you as a person, you know, like. <laughs> You always come out on you always come out as big and as flashy as possible. And then it's generally my job to then pull you back. Right. <laughs> and be like, hey, uh, hey, you're a little a little much, man. A little much. Come on back. We'll be all right. Uh, then there's a very standardized procedure for how to do of course. that. So I explain that to our boss that we answer to once in a while. I'm like, yeah. whenever there's a test, I'm gonna have to take it three times. Cause I won't study at all. So the first one will be average. The second one, I'll think I understand it, but I completely miss the mark. So I'll get like negative marks overall on the test. And if it's out of 10, then on the third time, then I'll get 37 out of 10. That's that, 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 that that's just my MO. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. It works. It's functional. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't ask me about building walls. Yeah. Let's put it this way. I'm glad that our guest today doesn't take tests like you do and generally hits the mark kind of right on every single time. Randy, will you please introduce us to our guest today? I will. Our guest today is Robert Ray. He's the Chief Technology Officer here at Greylog. He has over two decades of software engineering experiences, and more than half of that time has been in leadership roles in technology innovation, cloud-native platforms, cybersecurity, and compliance. Uh, Previous roles include uh, VP of Engineering at Shift Left, where he focused on application security and DevSecOps. Prior to that, he was VP of Engineering at Armor Cloud Security, responsible for engineering the organization's cloud security and compliance platform. 
and he's also been heavily involved in the healthcare sector with an emphasis on cybersecurity, secure coding, and compliance. Robert Ray, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's quite the intro. <laughs> I it always, like, though, when he was, when you're talking about that, I was like, I take tests completely differently. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it always sounds so impressive when you get your own bio read out you know and like almost to the point where i'm like embarrassed of my own bio i don't know that i, I hate having uh, i've done a few of these other podcasts and i just don't don't like hearing it like record that without me you know it's yeah, fine I can write. <laughs> that can, sounds terrible why would you say that <laughs> In all transparency to our listeners, we do know Robert. Robert is CTO of Greylog. He's known him for about a year now. You've been working with the two of us. And I'm really excited about this, about our conversation today, because while I do know you, I don't know that I know you as a person all that well. So excited to get into your brain a little bit more. But we like to start off with a question that we ask all of our guests. And being that we're a sim company, and the whole point of this is to be a better vendor, a better steward, a better member of the security community. Why does Sim suck? That's a, I like that question. That's a really interesting one. Cause I think I almost wanted to come in as like, well, what if it doesn't suck? <laughs> it <laughs> does and you know it. Because <laughs> everybody, you don't want it to though. I, I, I think that's the thing is I don't want it to suck. Like it's the second test. Like it doesn't have to. But it just does. I mean, at the end of the day, it just does. And I, I think that I think that I think we all experience the same problems that, that you have with it, which is what it does is actually truly amazing. Like uh, under the covers, it does some really cool stuff from building with large sets of data to correlating it. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest problem or the, the biggest thing I think that sucks about it is that it's there's really no standards anywhere as it comes to how data should flow into the system? How should events be written so we can actually, in the security world, make sense of stuff, right? I think everybody feels like that's the same problem. Everybody comes up with their own schemas. Logs are all written in different ways. That was mainly just because developers, I think, are hopefully none of them hate me for this, but the, in, in general, kind of more lazier, self-centric, or, hey, I'm just going to write out what I need rather than think through who could actually benefit from what I'm putting in here. So, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's I think that's probably my biggest one, is just yeah. how much work it is to actually get data and to make sense of it just from a, a lack of standards out there. I feel like that's the perfect answer for someone that is the CTO of a software company that is building large scale processes uh, <laughs> that require a lot of standardization and <laughs> require a lot of high, highly repeatable things. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, honestly, I think Abe and I collectively have worked on about a dozen different sims at different points in our career and not a single one of them has used anything that we've done previously right uh, <laughs> it's all it's all just a restart even sometimes between the same sim right just di different organizations i, I want to start with kind of a basic question because it's something that i talk to a lot of customers i talk to a lot of prospects and it still confuses me on a regular basis what exactly is a cto and why does how does it differ from a cio and a cpo because honestly, like they all seem to blend together to me. <laughs> There's really not a good definition for it, actually. Okay. Look out there. There's a, one of the, one of the fun things that that's interesting that you'll get asked a lot is what kind of CTO are you? Um, mm. and I think a lot of it depends on certain things. What type of company do you work for? Cause you have CTOs that are really more the, the sales CTOs and that's really what they focus on. I think when you look at a product company, most CTOs are more engineering focused, more technical focused. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to focusing a lot on where is the company headed from a vision perspective, from looking at what innovations out there in the market and how can you leverage it to build better um, solutions for the problems that you're in. So if it's yeah. the security space, we're looking at what can we do to really make um, our product better? And that being with like all the problems we're talking about, or why do sims suck, or why is software hard to scale? Those are things we want to solve. And so you're looking at how to solve those bigger problems, especially as everything's changing from a technical side. But then you have CTOs that focus a lot on some of it can be kind of a mixture. Some companies, if you have a like a, a company that's not a product company, more just right. technologies helping the business, uh, you'll have that blend of a, a CTO and a CIO that'll really that information officer that's focused on that side. But it really kind of blends depending on what type of company you're looking at there. 
I got you. So is, is it fair to say you are, you consider yourself a, a more product driven CTO? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Great. And obviously so from the engineering background, more focused on the engineering and innovation side of it. I think you can be more product centric CTOs if you're on the, um, just used to that coming from that product space. So right. it, you can come up from a lot of different disciplines, I guess is, uh, is an interesting fact of it as well. That's awesome. And you did that segue for me beautifully. I usually focus <laughs> really heavily on like, how am I go from this topic to that topic? And you did it perfectly right there. Speaking of background, tell us a little bit about how you got here, right? Uh, I, I know you have an engineering background to some extent, but what got you interested in engineering? Were you like the kid like me that got beat up for liking Star Wars in the wrong decade? H how did you get to being the lovely nerd that we know today? Yeah, that's a fun story because I obviously being in this now for a long time, I was more in the, I didn't grow up with computers, so uh, didn't have that as a kid. Obviously, I was way before any sort of iPhone. Um, I actually got my first computer because I won bingo on a cruise ship. So, yeah, crazy story. <laughs> a small cruise ship. I won blackout bingo, and everybody was yelling because kids aren't supposed to win that. And what a bunch of money! I was like twenty six dollars, and I took that wow. money to go buy my first computer, which was a Compaq P ninety, eight eight megs of RAM on it. So I was still I was coming in later than some folks even, yeah. but fell in love with it. I think it was that I don't know. You could just do some really amazing things. And I think what was cool is it was right at, I came into the whole AOL era, but mm -hmm. trying different things, getting into the internet as it was starting to come up, we got to be one of the first people on broadband in Austin, which was so cool. Like before oh, anybody awesome. even had, you could, it was blazing speeds. Well, when you got yeah, that crucial bingo money, you can do anything, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So fell in love with it. And that, that kind of uh, ended up deciding to go pursue that from a education when I went to college. And then I got out and started working for a small software company. And, and I remember I, had, I put my headphones in one day before I started working and, and I just started writing code. And then I got a paycheck and I was like, they pay me to do this? <laughs> I've been doing this stuff for free for the fantasy shares as a kid. And so, yeah, I was hooked ever since. That was, that was pretty amazing. That's awesome. What was it about code that actually really, really pulled you in I, I know for me, it was the logic behind it. Like suddenly the world made sense because I could tell the world what to be, right? Which if you know me personally, know that that is 100% my personality. <laughs> what was it about code that specifically drew you in and made you feel like, hey, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, I think it's that you could actually build stuff. You could think of something that you wanted something to do and you could just go build it. You can still do that today. Yeah. I still do that today, obviously. Yeah. But that's what's so fun is you want something to work a certain way or you want something to do a certain thing and you can actually go do that. And so for me, that was always really fun. And then I, I don't know, that was just, you could dream up anything you wanted and actually produce it. And that was, that to me is the coolest part of it still today is, you know, we're always building new stuff. And you, there's nothing to stop you from going and just, Hey, I want this to work this way. And it's like, Oh, you know, we'll do that. And so I think that's, I think some people like it from, I like the rules aspect too. So I ended up anyways, it, on the educational side, I ended up doing accounting related, just learnings, but it was just cause it was fun. Cause I like the structure of software and that and the way data flows and it's all very it's kind of this artistic side of it because you get to dream up what you want to build, but then there's very specific rules to how you can do it. I wish I could draw it, but I can't do any of that. So this is the closest I can get to being creative um, without and being artistic without actually being artistic. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, it's like the Legos of the internet, right? Yeah. Like all of us that played with, that grew up like playing with Legos and Kinects and Lincoln Logs and Tinker Toys right. and all those things, right? We, we now grew up to be in IT and development of some kind, because that's just, it, it's how we make sense of the world, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because we're amazing. <laughs> two questions, two parter. When did you decide, hey, I've, ha I've had enough of this code thing. I'm going to now take on the hardest challenge, which is dealing with people <laughs> and leading people, right? And then secondly, when and why did the transition happen from 
hey, I'm writing code for a small software company to I'm going to pursue specifically the cybersecurity industry and specifically, as my six-year-old calls it, defending the internet. <laughs> nice. I like that term. Yeah, I think so from the, the leading people side, I think that one was, I, I would say, more accidental. And I wouldn't say, I, I refuse to ever say I'm hanging up my spurs and not going to write code anymore or any of that right. stuff. I, I still refuse to to give up um, that skill set because I, again, it goes back to I want to be able to go do certain things and, and build yeah. them. I think, I guess it was, it felt accidental because I kept getting shoved into roles to do that, mm-hmm. whether that was leading the, a team or doing those things. And so from building stuff, we just end up, hey, you're now lead on this project, go do these things. So just kept doing that until finally they were, they were like, hey, you want to be the manager? I was like, no, uh, unless I'm going to make more money, I'd rather not do that. But they're like, well, but you have to still do that anyways. So any, after all that, I went to a smaller company where I, I took on that manager or director role. Um, right built software at the same time. But I think there's pieces of it that I actually like from the management side, which is, and if you talk to any of my engineers, you'll say this about me at any company, but I I actually want to do and build up great engineers. And I think you can do that if you care about them. I think you can do it if you care about what you know how to grow through those spaces, meaning there's areas that you may not be good in as an engineer and you need to go and build that up. But I remember I, I had a terrible manager and I, I set out to never be that person and never hopefully have engineers have to deal with that person because I, I won't name them, but they, it was one of those ones where you go through the whole review process and it's like, they're like, you're doing a great job. Love everything you're doing. It's like, great. How can I get better? How can I improve? Let's, let's grow my career and everything and salary together. And I'm like, well, I don't, I can't really help you. You just, just keep doing a good job. And so with that, I always took it that I think you can mentor engineers in terms of here's Here's the path to help you get better. And here's the path that you can take on harder, harder projects or you can take on these other things to grow and, and get pushed into those. And so I like to be able to give them that opportunity. Now that's, it's easier to give people those opportunities at smaller companies. Mm-hmm. Times those bigger companies, they just, they don't have those roles for you. Yeah. And so that I think is, is fun in that. So long-winded answer to say I was kind of fell into it, but then also fell in love with it too at the same time that it's a, it is a harder problem. And then it's fun to deal with, uh, dealing with people and organizational structures. And it's similar again, it's Lego blocks, except for now it's not Lego blocks of the internet, it's Lego blocks of an organization and an engineering team. And how do you get that engine functioning as, as well as possible? Uh, It's interesting. Like there is like a, uh, I know I asked a two part question and I'm just going to interject myself in the middle. There's like a. Is like all the great leaders that I know have a similar story to you of, of a moment that they found that empathy was really important to them, right? And, and understanding the person behind the job, right? And understanding that they are an individual that needs to grow and that needs right. to be invested in. There, there's like this aha moment that happens. And most of the time it's sitting across from another manager that is not doing those things. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's comforting to hear that, that that's a similar trend that you have taken on as, as you've moved in. Um, now I pr- should probably let you answer my other question about security before I take this in a different direction. So let's pause and go there. <laughs> oh, I went this a little easier. So I, I ended up at a small company building pharmacy software and we had a lot of different really sensitive data. So we had everybody's medication history and, and it was scary having access to that and just how do you protect it and do all those things. And so it was in that obviously was having to deal with it from a building software side. Um, but from that, got the opportunity to go to armor, which was where we're going to go and build this product, which is to secure public workloads and public cloud. And so that was what I was struggling with actually. At EDSI, um, we were trying to figure out, do we move from our own data center into AWS or something like that? How do we protect it? How do we monitor it? Uh, yeah. And Armor was going to set up to go build that product. And so that was, I got to join and really kind of dive more into that space, which was really cool. And so, and this was after trying to secure stuff from all the uh, pharmacy and, and healthcare side of the house. So, but that was how I got into the product side of it. But so it was, again, it was purposeful, but it was right. purposeful in that it was... Again, just still hadn't seen, there was no good solutions out there to really go solve yeah. that problem. And so it was nice to go and tackle that because I wanted to help other people in that 
because it's tough. You know, that thing at the end of the day, cybersecurity is still a tough, tough area to make sure you've got it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know for a lot of us, it becomes almost like a, uh, almost like an addiction, right? You get into the vendor side in cybersecurity and it becomes this like high that you're chasing of like constantly trying to do it the right way, right? Yeah. Like, Right. Oh, well, this tool can't do it that way, but these guys can. So I'm going to hop over there and I'm going to go help them. And then you find the edges of what they do. And then you kind of can continue pivoting. Abe and I are, are very obviously on this roller coaster for life. I don't know that there's any time that either of us would be getting off of that. Do, do you think you're there or is your passion still really in the code and you'd be totally down to go be the CTO of a hospitality management software or something? I think you're right. I think there's a point where once you realize that there, this problem space is as complex as it is, uh, it's hard to leave it. I mean, because you get to solve some, you're dealing with so many hard problems. You're dealing with big data. You're dealing with unstructured and unorganized data and haven't actually organized it. You're still dealing with the whole cybersecurity side of it, which is, that's just crazy in general. It has so many different areas outside of just the sim side. So there's application security and API security. And so it doesn't air. So for me, I would say, uh, I, I love this space. I think it's, it's one I'll, I would love to stay in, continue to try and to build the right product that solves the right problems, which mm. is not a, it's not easy. So it's a really interesting point that you just made, which I think is, which is, I think something that a lot of vendors struggle with in the security space, which is right product, right problem right time, right space, all those things. How, how do you balance that, right? How do you find the right, you know, how, how do you build the right product for the right problem? And, and how, how do you push your organization in that direction? That's tough. So at least for us, I think a lot of it is just trying to figure out what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. I think that's the, if you're just chasing dollars or whatever, you're not going to really actually be solving the problem. So I think that's, that to me is, I think what's, what drives me in this space is those mm -hmm. things like a great intro question is those are the same things that I think drive all of us is to, all right, this can be better in so many different ways. Yes. Let's make it better because, because those same problems we all feel that we've felt for so many years, it's, it's obviously mm -hmm. hasn't been solved. Um, mm -hmm. it's still all painful. And so. And that was just, that's just because we didn't have three hours to talk about what are all the, the painful points of this whole. <laughs> so, yeah. So to me, it's which area do you want to really focus on? Because if you're trying to tackle everything, you're going to fail. And so right. for me, it's really, what are the areas that I want to go solve and that as a company, we want to go solve and head in that direction. And obviously Greylog gets very much to that dealing with that log, large sets of data and that, that really complex domain that's. One thing that's really cool about that is it's always growing. We're not at this point where we're getting less data from anything. We're using more services, more data, and it's, that's just going to keep happening. So now you're trying to not just figure out what's going on between different windows machines talking, but entire environments where you have so many devices and now SaaS services on top of that and cloud services on top of that. So you're really trying to make sense of a lot of pieces of the data. But to me, I think that's it. It's what do you want to focus on? What do you really want to solve? And then just, you got to start chipping away. Yeah. Then it's up to the market to decide if the problem is right or not, right? If it's big oh, enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, right. And if you are listening and you're trying to be a vendor that is purely financially operated, like that's it, not even interested in solving a problem. There's what, 30% of the floor space at RSA is a, a new vendor that then changes every year. Is that <laughs> so you can be the one that's there this year and not there next year. You, someone has to fill that gap. So yeah. you, you did also perfectly segue our show formats one more time, I think, but oh, I'm going to ruin it. You made it really nice. And it was a beautiful segue into all your <laughs> great experience. I'm going to ruin it and go backwards for a second now. I don't even think we've shown you our, our show format. You still pulled it off like brilliantly right on time. But right. I, I wanted to peel back just one more on, on a little bit more about you. And that is, so you described yourself starting off in this, this really nice artistic, I love building things, code is the Lego of the world, but then went off and described a couple of working scenarios like financial and healthcare that are like the opposite of go do what you want to do. And normally like they're quite regimented, they're very risk adverse. And, and so, yes, the security was one thing, but 
How did you keep that? And you've clearly kept it. How did you keep your, I'll say your innovative edge while you went through some of those, I don't know how to describe it, more rigid environments that usually aren't, aren't quite so forward-leaning or progressive that are usually much more adverse to that kind of stuff. How'd you, how'd you stay frosty, man? Well, so yes, those areas are, well, they're not super uh, exciting from what they're doing. I think that it's one of those ones you still use technology to solve the problems and, and make it more fun. So, so I think, for example, I, when I was consulting the tenant healthcare from Prow Systems, I was just doing, like you said, software for reporting on their accounting systems and those things. We, but what we did was ended up taking up a project to, to generate a lot of what they were doing. So took the ideas and built interface so they can go and plug in. Here's what I want the data to come from. Here's how I want this report to end up building it, generate all that for you. And then you just go and deploy that in your environments. You don't have to recode all that stuff. So all that to say, I think there's, you can find things to innovate or change or make exciting anywhere. Even if you're solving boring problems, there's a lot of fun ways to solve them. Uh, and I think solving them right or efficiently is, I still think, kind of interesting. I'm some awesome. diverse person at times anyway. So. <laughs> so solving the problem is the fun and the adventure yeah, that's, of the innovation, that's, right? It's a really cool feeling to see somebody use your software for their, for their role. You're walking around, you're like, oh, that's built that. That's really cool. They're using it. To, and then you learn they do things that you had no idea that they were going to do with it. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, <laughs> but that's always been a, a fun throw of mine. Is that the equivalent of hearing your song on the radio? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> hearing your own bio being read out? Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I do have a horror story around that. I went, I interned at the company that provides electricity to where I live. And I interned specifically on the customer contact applications team. And so that was any application that was used to contact the power company. We were there. So I worked on some of the billing pieces of the website that we work on that, that we use today. And we still use it. And there are still bugs that I know exist there because I wrote it. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> and it is atrocious. <laughs> and I'm reminded of my failings as an intern monthly. It's <laughs> a good one. I like that. It's good. Yeah. There's a reason I don't write code anymore, and that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. The learning phase. Uh, exactly. Which you like, oh, I'm never doing that like again. Yeah. I someone along the way pointed out to me that I am a much better speaker than I am coder. Uh, so I pivoted, got out of that. Uh, well, I still could. Uh, <laughs> I want to dive into what specifically your expertise is. Like we've talked, we've talked about the journey of how you've gotten here. What does it take to actually run a, an engineering team in 2023? It took me like 30 seconds. I remember what year it was. But to, to run an engineering team in 2023, when you have people on Reddit claiming that their entire day job is done by chat GPT and asking it to write regex for them and things like that, what are some of the challenges that you're experiencing in today, in running a team today? Yeah, the, the whole, the whole AI thing is obviously, I don't know if it's changed things, but it made things interesting about, I think, all of our futures and just what, how you look at that. And that happened so fast that I wasn't ready for all of it. Wow, this is, but honestly, I think it, it does help you just go faster and it, we'll see how it can use evolve. But I think to your point on what's challenging on, on running engineering teams or, um, I, I think the biggest one is, I would say, I know this sounds somewhat cliche, but if you've gone through the pain of doing it, if that makes sense, of of coming up through the ranks and you know all the different areas that are painful. I think one of the the pieces that's hard is not really knowing where do you go and invest your energy. So there's a lot of stuff that you can go do. There's a billion things to, to focus my energy on, on uh, throughout the day. And I think knowing where you need to go and invest that to go tweak, how do I make this part of this engine or this machine better and faster? And so that's that's an investment in people or an investment in processes or investment in technologies. There's there's kind of knowing what do you then go tweak. So I think that's always the trick. And then it's changing you. It's changing, like you just said, with chat GPT coming out. How do we leverage that to one, to make our product better? How can we leverage that to write code better or any of the other co-pilot tools out there? 
But yeah, I think for me, that's one of the ones that's a little bit tricky is where do you go invest in it? And that I think is just from, just from an experience thing of, Hey, I know this can be better here. Let's go work on that. Or this is running great here. Let's keep pushing here. And then I think the other side of it is you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of great talent. And I think engineers love to solve problems. It can be really uh, good and efficient. And it's, how do you, how do you leverage them in that way, right? How do you get them the right information to either, here's the problem we want to solve. Now let's innovate and solve it together. Or direct the energy of here's where we're headed. Let's all run in this direction and go there as fast as possible together. And so that's the other one is you see groups out there where you can be very fragmented in what you want to go solve or you're not, you're not running together. And I think that's the piece of getting it efficient and running together. That is fun and exciting. Right. And so that to me, I think is the trick. It's just staying focused on what you want to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to think of a follow-up question besides the one that I want to ask, but I don't think I have a follow-up question <laughs> for that one there. I <laughs> do you have any more questions you'd like to ask, Joe? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or it was poor and you're like, well, I don't even know how to respond to that. No, no, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. It the, was. the question is, do I dive in, do we dive into deeper into the people side mm. or do we dive deeper into the tech side and to to appease my partner, Abe, we're going to dive into the tech side. That's where we're going to go. We alluded to AI and talked a little bit about the implication of it. How are you thinking about AI as a CTO today? So not necessarily just from the, the people side, but how are you actually thinking about leveraging it to be more efficient? How are you thinking about putting it into the product? Obviously, ChatGPT is a great job description writer, as Randy recently found out last <laughs> week. But and it also is great at writing regex for any of those that are parsing large amounts of data. It, it still has its struggles. It still has its trappings. How do you get it to actually, how are you thinking about it to actually make it useful in what we do today in a cybersecurity realm? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the big area that obviously everybody is looking at is where do I, how do I leverage this to put in my product? And I think there's some easy approaches to that and mm -hmm. some harder approaches to that. The easy ones being, let's go do the integrations out there and start to take advantage. I think those are certainly ones that are, you can go do. I think there's a lot of value in that. I think you can get benefit from, I'm going to, I'm going to send up my log data and see what it comes back with us to, to analyzing it. Or I, I think, I think for me, it's, I think there's the challenge of what, if I wanted to solve, I would say bigger on real problems. The biggest challenge I see in the space is now, just like all of it is, I would love for it to be able to analyze the data and make sense of what we just said sucked about it all is, hey, can you make sense of this and tell me, pull all the valuable fields out of, of all my logs I send in and do those things. But you're back now to the, well, it's, that's very compute intensive. That's mm -hmm. first intensive beyond making any sort of financial sense to accomplish your ultimate goal there. And so I think that's the balance that we see with it is... Uh, is that we're going to see, and there's a lot of areas in this space of, well, can we take large models and leverage those that are already pre-built and already spent the money on? And can we just define different parameters for smaller models for our either tenants or for our problem domain? So I think we'll see that kind of come out. But again, it's going to be down to, or at least the biggest one that I see in this space is how can we leverage it from a kind of a, a cost approach to it? Because obviously you can do tons of things, but I don't know financially if you want to pay for it to do those amazing things. Mm. We'll see how that we'll see how that goes. I think from how we leverage it to build software, obviously, I think there's great benefits to that. I think there's the dangers that everybody tells all their companies around it as for as far as if it's you know don't send any proprietary information up there. That's the one I think everybody's still scared about. You still see all the horror stories on. Mm -hmm. Although I do think there's changes coming out to where you can get enterprise versions for, for your own sandboxing it down. But I'll let just say that's kind of how I think about it. I think for me, it's what problem set can we use to solve? And it's the same ones of would love to use it to help come alongside, help security analysts make sense of some of their alerts, make sense of, Hey, what's the next step to solve this specific to my environment? as far mm -hmm. as, you know, what, if I do want to go and deploy this change into my firewall, what should that actually look like? Should you go do it for me? I think the same thing of if I want to, I've got new data, I need to parse it into the right formats for your schema. How can you do that easier for me? Would love it to do those sorts of things. Um, or specific to our product, some around 
hey, would love to have abilities to, can you use it to have a dashboard builder that you do through mm. chat? Random things and it could be fun, may yeah. not be worth it. So you have, again, that's kind of things we kick around as to, we've got a lot of ideas there. That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow Joe away even more on this, and I've got a people question for you. Rob. We've already covered some of the regulatory intense backgrounds, but you've got some cloud native back there. You've got security back there, DevSecOps. You've really run the gamut, especially in the in terms of people leadership. So you've worked in a lot of cool places, and some of those are very, very left-brained and very, very right-brained type engineers and stuff like that that are working for you, and so. As a builder of teams, what are some of the really core skill sets that you look for, just out of curiosity, or personality traits, or or what are you looking for when you start building your team? We've all made the mistake where we tried to build a team out of the all a rock stars yeah. players, and that team was a horrible disaster. Absolutely, um, it was. Yeah, we've all done that one. That's just you just have to kind of go through that. But I think the the real piece of it is what's the chemistry you want within the team and how do you get that right from a skill set perspective, from personalities, communication. And so a lot of it is figuring out how do I get, again, the, the best or the most efficient team out of what they're trying to do. And a lot of times it's it, it's finding somebody who's the right fit for whatever it is that, those, um, that the team needs at that time. I know that sounds cliche. But that's a lot of what it is, is sitting there, analyzing how the team's functioning, analyzing if you want to move folks around, where's a, where's a good blend to get that right. And some of that you mess up on and you're like, ooh, I'm not doing that one again. I, those two people are going to clash. Or sometimes you're like, hey, that clashing is going to work really well to solve this one thing. We're going to have fireworks, but they're going to be good fireworks for <laughs> how this is going to play out. That answer. I was about to accuse you of being overly safe. All right. All right. You got me back again. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I, no, that's, and I couldn't agree more. That's, and I think that's one of those ones that's often misconstrued too. Like a lot of people are like, oh, like important things are things like communication, especially when you got a lot of, you got very divergent people, whatever they are, right? Which is what you want. I mean, a team of you or people like you or a team of A-listers, as, as you've said, we've, a lot of us that have, that have been leading teams for a while have made that mistake. And, and so when you start mixing it up and you start throwing really different people and you say, oh yeah, the communication is one of the things that's important, but people take that to mean really clear written emails. It's like, no, no, sometimes their love language is flipping each other off and like putting thumbtacks on their chairs, mm -hmm. but it's part of the teamwork and cohesion. It's part of the fireworks that are required to, because that's where the innovation actually comes from, right? It comes from hitting your head against something, getting frustrated with it and powering through usually is where that comes from. I mean, sometimes it comes from counting ceiling tiles in a day too, but. The yeah, usually those fireworks are what really lead it to it. So those all right. You went from totally safe to a great answer in my books. I love it. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say it depends. It, it will depend on what you're trying to do too, right? Exactly. Like you, yep. Are you setting up a team that you're gonna that they need to run for years together, and this is gonna be their domain, and they're gonna get all get good at this together, or is it you got thrown this project, and it's this last minute? We got to build something really fast, really hard, and now we've got a six we grind to build something super fast. That's a different team we're throwing together entirely. Mm -hmm. And again, like you said, I think they, who you pick at those different times, obviously is going to depend on who you have to, to pull from, but it's be fun. And then I think you have to make those tweaks along the way too, right? So you're mm -hmm. this going to work in this way, but I know I have to constantly adjust and tell these people these things that they, hey, you just can't treat people like that or. You're doing a really good job here, encouraging the right stuff. That's exactly it. And it's one of those things I've been focusing on a lot lately too. And, and a lot of people are familiar with the Phoenix project. And then you find out you've got a Brent from the Phoenix project. Uh, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and, like, uh -oh. and, yeah. As a junior leader, you're like, yes, I need more Brents. And as a senior leader, like, oh my God, I don't want any more Brents. I don't want, just, <laughs> I don't want any more Brents. So for, for those who are unfamiliar, Brent is the one that knows how everything works and is involved with everything. And unfortunately, that means everybody wants a piece of Brent, right? Which is the, where your project falls apart a little bit. But no, that's that that's that was awesome. That was awesome. I love your answer. Uh, along the same line, since Abe brought up the people, so it's not me this time. It's Abe. We're gonna developers, historically speaking, and security tend to not get along. I like to joke that ops and apps had a war and they ended their war when they gained a collective enemy in security. <laughs> and so running a development team within a security organization feels like 
an oxymoron in a lot of ways, right? Here are these developers that now have to care about security because that's literally the product that they're building. But you still have kind of the traditional trappings of a development organization, get yeah. it out faster, get it out, do more with less, all of those kinds of things. How, how do you balance that? And how do you instill into your development organization the the banner that we're following of, hey, this we have this larger cause we're trying to accomplish while still allowing them to be developers? Yeah. Yeah, I think the the answer to this one honestly doesn't, I think, actually pertain specific to security, but just engineers in general as far as with whatever you're trying to build. And so I, th I think the, the big piece is bringing down the problem set or the customer pain or the what you're doing to the engineers rather than it. It's got to live bigger than a, a user story or a Jira ticket or a GitHub issue. Whatever your tools are, wherever your developers are living, if it's a, a line in Excel, You've got to elevate them out of that. I think that to me is the biggest piece. And I think elevating them out of it does a bunch of things. It One, I think helps refocus on what are we building and why. And I think that allows them to be more innovative. And so, oh, okay, let me actually propose this is a different approach to this one. Or this is a different design. This will help us solve it better than just I weeds down and here's my user story. I'm going to solve it. Mm. Um, and so I, I say it goes with that. It's really trying to, to bring, I, I think the the inspired book. I love how it talks about wanting to use your engineers to be, you're trying to get them to be more missionaries versus mercenaries. And so that to me is that piece is how do you get them to pick up the mission? How do you get them to, to say, Hey, yes, this is what we're doing this for. I'm pumped about it. Not I'm just solving this user story. I'm going to push up my code. I'm going to go home for the day. So to me, I think it's, doesn't matter that it's security. I think now at the end of the day, there is that piece of it of, well, you're making me go slower or you've got compliance in the way. And I think that, again, same thing, giving them reason as to why you have to do that, why it's important education piece. Because at the end of the day, engineers are pretty reasonable people. I think they're just everybody in all of these scenarios, everybody's just mad because everybody's asking them to do things and they only have so many hours. And yeah. so it's that reasoning as to why. And then most people are very receptive. No, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. As you personally are transitioning an engineering organization out of a general technology IT space in log management and into this cybersecurity company that, that we're becoming, let's get you know specific into what are the things that you're needing your engineers to take on that they didn't take on before, both inside the organization and possibly outside the organization. I know as an example, I know one of the things we've charged like the sales team with and the SE team with is getting involved in the local security community, right? So going to ISSA, ISACA, InfraGuard, whatever your, those are the US ones, but whatever they are around the world and really participating in that, not as a salesperson, not to go get leads, not to do whatever, but to actually be a student and a steward of security and be a member of the community and contribute back at a high level as my calendar goes off. I hope that makes it in. Uh, <laughs> what are, what, what, I'm sure there are things inside and outside of the organization that that you're asking developers to do differently than your predecessor and then the company in its previous form was asking. What are those things and and why do you feel like those are the right things for the developers to be doing? Yeah, I think I think the big one in that is is again going back to that 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 mission or that that purpose statement right? It's, I think it's that expertise is a big one for me. So mm -hmm. that starts to elevate you. And so again, same things that Delve organizations going through is how can you learn more around this space, around what we're actually trying to solve, leverage the project to go and solve those problems. So we've got, we actually have some really, some really cool things the engineers are doing where they're, they are involved in some of their local security groups. And I think they're, they're doing fun things with Greylog in that space. And so they're bringing that back. We have, we have engineer, we, we go through and talk a lot of this and try to bring in that focus. And we did a lot of it last, I guess it was in May, where we went through and learned more about how one of our engineers leverages it for, for one of his government. I don't even know the best way to say that. <laughs> National Guard. <laughs> it was all sanitized and not stories, but yeah. the point being, how is it really leveraged, right? How can you teach them? how it's being used out there. So building up that expertise, both from learn it from books or from groups, but also I think from expertise, like we have in the company. So 
I think that's a big one. And then it's always evolving. So that I think is one thing of our space, but it says, asked, where can you go and learn to solve that next area of it from a big data set area to how can we more tackle some of the alert side of the house? So yeah, always learning that I think is part of engineering in general, though, is you just can't stop learning. Well, speaking of expertise, thoughtfulness, which you've demonstrated both of quite a bit today and, and real leadership, I think that kind of brings us to the next part of our show, which is what advice, Rob, would you give to other vendors or security players in our space trying, trying to make the cybersecurity space a better world for everyone? So what advice do you have to pass on? Yeah, I think I would love to get some sort of standards out there, but since that's not really going to happen, uh, I'll, put, I'll put that one aside. No, but I do you think you can choose any of the 431 available standards. That's, uh... <laughs> yes, let's <laughs> that. No, I think that the the big advice thing and where I, I want to see us go as well is where I think we we fail the community a little bit on the, the security side of the house is what do you go do next? And I think from the SIM side, from the EDR side, so much of it is, hey, I found something. But then the question is, what do you do next? How do you get all the context for what you go do next? Who, how do you triage this? Who's the person triaging it? And does that person have the expertise to do it? I think there's a lot. I would just say that it'd be nice to get everybody to really focus on, can you help them take the next step can, to triage it faster? Here's where I go look up this data to learn more about it in a more, I would say, cohesive manner. Because again, it's right now, it's depends on the, the shop of how they want to do it. it. depends on which data is necessary, what data is available. But yeah, I think that would be a, I would love to spark and see that more in our space. Cause it's right now that's tough given, especially the fact that we don't have a lot of resources in, in the cybersecurity landscape from jobs. It's still, there's not enough expertise out. I think that's several a- years ago security it security manager named abe would be listening to a podcast right now screaming yes yes please <laughs> but that's a hard problem to solve it like how do you actually that. answer that that's the that's where the fun stuff is that's that's exactly it yeah, yeah i no, think great answer thank you yeah great answer I, I think you hit the nail on the head and it's and part of the thing that makes it so hard is that it's not just a technical problem right there are so many, there's so many people issues and process issues and, hey, is this policy even documented issues, right, that we can't control and figuring out how you can, how you can kind of be that like operating system in the same way that accounting has like SAP or, or something right. like that, right? Being that for the security space, whoever wins that race is going <laughs> to, is, <laughs> is going to win the war, right? Um, also, I, well, I, it's a fantastic, oops, sorry, go ahead. No, please go ahead. I was gonna say, and it's a fantastic kind of verbal imagery here where we open the top of it with what is basically the snake eating its own tail. So it's, hey, Rob, why does Sim suck? Well, because it's kind of fragmented and disjointed and doesn't really have a clear direction. At the end of it, so what advice do you have? Well, can you help us be a little less fragmented and have a little clearer direction? That's uh, <laughs> So that's the eight second version of the 60 minute podcast if you want to hear it <laughs> from Rob. No, that was, that was awesome. Thanks. I think we're on to, to oh, sorry, Joe, finish your thought. And then we're on to under Randy next. No, I was just going to say it's time for Randy's favorite section. The one where he uh, oh. gets to say something other than, other than what's on a script. So Randy, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't just my favorite se- section. That's true. I do believe the fans have spoken and, <laughs> and the lightning That's round right. is by far the fan favorite of the podcast. Uh, so Robert, if you're ready, I'll be putting 90 seconds on the clock. Please answer each question as quickly and concisely as possible because we will not be keeping score and cash prizes will not be rewarded. What, what is lightning? Okay. <laughs> you're about to. Are you ready? Sure. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who? Ooh. Oh, Man, I'm going to go with, there's not a, none of the, but I actually don't fit this well in the space. Oh, wow. Star Wars? <laughs> you know, I always like to make fun of it, but anyways, sorry. Nice. I swear everybody, I don't, I, I, yes. All, all good. All good. We're learning things. We just lost a I lot like of listeners. But... So, so more of the, the Wheel of Time series right now is awesome. Nice. Anyway, sorry. I'm, oh I like... my God. Oh my God. We're going to have a fight later. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Okay. Must have some 
moving on. Name a common password people should never use. <laughs> password <laughs> at the end or no, instead of an if you could work anywhere in the world for a year where would it be that's a good one i'm gonna pick oh that's actually really tough <laughs> i'm gonna say germany i like germany nice manhattan martini or margarita manhattan that would be nice if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I love flying. And name a person that inspires you. Uh, that inspires. That's a good one. Um, I would say, oh no, my previous CTO. Uh, <laughs> he was a uh, he's a great mentor, and he's still inspiring today. Nice, nice, awesome. That's lightning round. Cool. That's fun. <laughs> Although yeah, I didn't, I you stumped me with the the Star Wars Star That's Trek. funny. Yeah. Usually, no, Doctor funny. Who gives and, people enough of an out. I know the Star That's, Wars yeah. and Star Trek, but I know I don't like Doctor. I just feel like I failed everybody there. But, <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine. But then to it throw will be down on. and say Wheel of Time is is on the list. <laughs> Have you read the books, man? The books yes. are gold, and the show I, is. Hey, whoa, okay. I love don't I love the books. The sh- exactly. The, the show is okay. I guess it never really said movie, did it? It didn't say movie. I, okay, I yeah. do, fair enough. I do love that that Rob's answer was like, okay, here's these multi-billion dollar franchises that have proven to be beloved by millions of people. And I'm gonna pick the show that has been picked apart the most by the internet. And that I'm gonna wait <laughs> as just okay. <laughs> I like the books more, obviously. The books are fantastic. If you ever read the book series, that's Brandon Sanderson into debt really well. I yes, he did. He's a closer, he's a fantastic closer. And I actually like most of his series. So books books I can get behind on all of them. A lot of the TV adaptations are just kind of meh to me. Yeah. So I mean it's fun know. to see it on screen, but it's definitely not the same as what's in your head. That's exactly it. The, the theater of the mind. Well, I guess uh, that's a wrap for our show today. So thanks everyone for joining us with Rob Reyes, CTO at Greylog, and my beloved colleagues, Randy and Joe. So thank you, everyone. Take care. See you next time. Thanks.